Alright, 2 Corinthians 3. Let's, uh, let's go there. And, uh, I've got a couple things I'm gonna put up on the screen. I'll make it, make it a little bigger so we can see it. See if we can uh, see this. Yeah, Second Corinthians three. If I didn't say that right. Yeah, I don't know if you guys can see this very good. I'm gonna grab a little pointer, but uh, you know, our, our theme for this class. If you have your hand out there at the top, I put a thesis that we should quit living unto ourselves and start living for Christ. And you know, uh, King David said, "You know, I will not give unto the Lord that doesn't cost me something." And so, when we go on mission trips, uh, people pay their own way. And uh, I've, I've had people that say that's pretty strange that you're going on a mission trip, but you have to pay for your air flight and your food. But yet, uh, we we want to give to the Lord. We want to reach people. And uh, so ministry does cost something, doesn't it? Uh, Probably most, if not all of us, maybe you got up earlier than you normally would have just to come to class this morning. So it cost you a little bit of getting up early to come here and to uh, open God's Word. And uh, but you know it cost the Lord something, didn't it? It it cost Him everything. And here it says in First John two six. I don't know if you can see, but he that saith he abideth in Him ought himself also to walk even as He walked. So that that's what discipleship is: is we want to walk as Christ walked. And I've got a couple of other verses I wanted to put up here. Let me see if I can uh, navigate this. It's in, uh, I wrote them on my notes. I don't know if you want to write this in your notes or not. It is. Ah, I am, I am not, uh, not on Wi Fi. Uh oh, that's not good. So, uh. Do you remember now? His phone's right here. You can't. Huh. You can use my hotspot. Need one? There it is, yeah. Hold on a second. Oh, I only got 4%. My Wi Fi is on. 47%. Never mind. Oh, I got it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. It just connected. I think. So let me. Uh... Hey. I don't know quite how it works. I. I'm not that good at this, y'all. You can. Uh, you can get a, a version that you don't have to be online. That that might be what I need, but all right. The other, a couple others here I wanted to show you too. Uh, Jesus then Je- then said Jesus to them again, peace be unto you. He says, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And uh, and hold that thought and consider this next. I got one more verse I want to give you before we get into our lesson. It's in uh, Mark. And I, I memorized this one one time. Let's see if I can find it. Okay. Yeah, so I'm on Wi-Fi now. 
And, and so th- this is uh, Mark 10.45, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. So uh, when we talk about ministry, uh, the Lord uh, you know, humbled Himself. He be- took on the form of a servant. And uh, even though He thought it not robbery to be equal with God, and so anyway, it is humbling to minister. There is a certain giving of ourselves. And so, uh, so, uh, Isabel, uh, our topic has been being ministry minded. So that, that's what this series is called from 2 Corinthians, being ministry minded. And Paul was that way. Uh, you know, he said he became all things to all men that he might by all means save some. And so, uh, what does that mean? What does that mean to become all things to all men? What, what do you, what do you, what does everybody think? What are you thinking, Kevin? Just put yourself in their shoes. Okay. Uh, yeah. Because then you'll know how they're thinking and, and what things that you should say to them to be able to uh, minister to them. So you have to kind of be a good listener, a good communicator. And that's one of the first things we talk about uh, in our lesson today, even. What else are everybody thinking? To become all things to all people. What are you thinking, Belinda? Okay. Yeah. He uh put yourself up And um what was the uh I'm trying to think of the prophet that uh it might have been Ezekiel where he he sat with the people that he was trying to minister to and that's what you were saying, Kevin. Amos that married a harlot. Hosea. Hosea. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, a lot of the prophets have been asked to do kind of some strange things, and so anyway, uh, whatever the Lord leads you to do, just be willing to do it, right? Uh, just um, so anyway, so let's get to Second Corinthians chapter three now. And uh, Larry, since you're late, I'm going to pick on you. I'm going to start with you. Uh, would you read verse 12? Chapter 3, verse 12. Chapter 3, verse 12. Uh, furthermore, when I came to... No. 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 2 Corinthians. Down here, down here. Okay. Seeing then that we have such hope, we great painness of speech. Yeah, pl- plainness. Uh, that's all right. So this chapter has been talking about comparing this Old Testament. It's called the ministration of death. And we talked about how when uh, Paul uh, died and when sin revived in his life, but... Uh, one of the things I put on your handout, uh, your, your first blank there, is just the word hope. And I, I gave you a verse there. I gave you a couple verses on your handout about this from the book of Hebrews. And it's comparing the law. It says, For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. 
And then look at this next verse from Hebrews 6. It says, Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that which within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So, uh, when you think of hope, what do you think of? Peace. Some peace. That's something you you want. Mm-hmm. What else? Being able to look forward to something. Yes. Yeah. It's more future. Okay. Do, do you know in the Bible, uh, hope is not wishful thinking? Sometimes we think of hope as wishful thinking, but right there that verse says... Our hope is an anchor of our soul. You know, an anchor is pretty sure, isn't it? You know, when you're anchored to something, you're you're bound to it, huh? When you drop your anchor, that's where you want to stay. You're unmovable. You're, yeah. Honest, open, determined. Now, now think about this. Do, do you guys remember the famous? Do you guys remember the famous verse at the end of... Uh, does anybody know what the chapter on love is in the Bible? Yeah. 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. And right at the end of it, it says, Now abideth these three. What does it say? Faith, hope, and charity. Charity or love. It's charity. So, so think about those three for just a minute. Uh, I think I got enough cable here to write something. Don't turn around too many times to be in bondage. <laughs> <laughs> hey, somebody look up that verse for me at the end of 1 Corinthians 13. Mary, you brought it up. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Face all inequities through him. That's good. Which one? First, 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 the last verse. And now by the now by the faith, hope, charity, these three, but the grace of these charity. Faith, hope, charity. Um, what does the Bible say to do if, if any man lack faith? Let him go for God. Uh, yeah, uh, that, that, I'm thinking of a different verse. Uh, hold on. Uh, well, I said it wrong. I mean, I said it a different verse. I need a different verse. Uh, it, it's Romans 10. I'm going to pull it up, Larry. Romans 10.17. I think it's 10.15, isn't it? No, you're right. All right. Read that, Kevin. Oh, okay. I have to look it up first. 10.17. Yeah, 10.17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Yeah, so if you're struggling with your faith, you just need more Word of God, because that's where it comes from. If faith comes by hearing... And hearing by the word of God, but but think about what's that? Also by doing. Okay. But I want you to think about this for a minute. Faith, uh, it, faith kind of looks back because that's what we're doing. We're 
we're looking at this Old Testament. We're, you know, by faith Abraham did this. By faith Moses did that. So faith kind of looks backward. And yeah, that's what Kevin's. You're you're on to it. Hope looks forward, doesn't it? Charity is the here and now. And charity is the present. So. Yeah. You stole my thunder, Kevin. <laughs> but uh, this hope, it looks forward believing. I mean, if you're saved, you don't just hope. I mean, Paul says that we know, we know if our faith or if this body of this tabernacle were dissolved, we know we have a home in heaven, a house not made with hands. So we know that. It's an anchor of our soul. And uh, that's what Hebrews says. And so we we work and minister today out of charity. And uh, and the greatest of these is charity, it says. So the here and now we need to love God, love one another, and share uh, Jesus Christ. So... Anyway, I like that. And then uh, what Larry read to us, this plainness of speech. And I gave you a verse on your handout from Proverbs about the word plain. Uh, and this is, this is a reference that Solomon is saying about wisdom. Wisdom says, All the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing froward or perverse in them. They are all plain to him that understandeth and right to them that find knowledge. And so, uh, I mean, you know, if if a doctor tells you all the details of, yeah. you know, your health, it may not be real easy to understand. But we we as ministers, when we share, and uh, one of the greatest compliments that anybody ever gave me, they they said something like, "Steve, you're you're able to explain." You know, deep things or complicated things in a simple manner, and I, I hope that that's true. I hope it's not too much Christian Christianese. Christianese, yeah. So. Or <laughs> But there's a scripture in Proverbs there somewhere it says, "Knowledge is easy to him to understand." Yes. And through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will open your eyes. Yeah. And give you understanding. No, that's almost exactly where. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I remember talking to a guy I was working with, and and I quoted him a verse, and he he even said, he said, Steve, I don't understand what you just said, and because the Bible says the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit, neither can he, for they're they're spiritually understood or, or something like that. They're spiritually discerned, maybe. Uh, and so I said, well, that, you know, I said, Chuck, that's the point. Not, not this Chuck. It was a different Chuck that I work with that, uh, he, he really, and it just kind of proved out he, he was unsaved. But, uh, anyway, so that was my, my ministry principle. That MP on your handout is God's ministers must use great plainness of speech to unveil God's glory. So, uh, we, we want, uh, the Lord to be known. And uh, verses 13 and 14. Pam, are you back in Second Corinthians yet? Yeah, but you know, I have a footnote. I have a center column. That, yeah. And for plainness of speech, it says boldness. Oh. Huh. 
What do you think about that? Open doors because you open eyes and hearts and minds and ears. You have to have a certain amount of boldness. Yeah. But it has to be plain enough for people to understand. Mm-hmm. There's no point in talking to them. Well, I think in, back in that time, period of time, when they asked me to explain themselves, they would say, Hmm. Yeah, in other words, help me understand it. Mm-hmm. You know. Maybe even learn their language. Well, it says we use great plainness. So great maybe is the word of boldness. Hmm. Yeah. In other words, they don't want you just tell them what they want to hear. They want you to tell the truth. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, when in Acts, when Peter was preaching, it, it says that they kind of marveled because of his boldness and they realized he's been with Jesus and and he was very bold and and yet he communicated and it says something like he was unlearned so you you don't that's one thing i really like is you know they say that there's level ground at the foot of the cross and you know the the bible's uh, shallow enough that you know children can play in shallow waters, and it's deep enough that the most expert swimmer can never dive to the bottom of it. It's it's both, isn't it? And so we can all get something out of it, no matter what our level of understanding is. And uh, so, yeah, it should give us great comfort knowing that uh, we we can know what God has for us and do what He has us to do and. But yeah, go ahead, Pam, with those verses, if you would. And not as Moses would put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away with in Christ. Yeah, so this is a this is really a key part of this chapter. What Pam just read. That does anybody remember the story, or maybe Pam, you or Emma can? What is the story about this veil over Moses's face? What is that talking about? Do you remember? Mm-hmm. What? It was fading away, and okay. For some reason or other, he didn't want the people to see that it was only temporary. Okay. So when he when he had his face lit up. Yeah. That's what I say about Tav all the time about crying. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so Angie's, the story is that, uh, and, and we'll look at it here in, in just a minute. Um, Mo, Moses, what? When he came down from the mountain? Yeah. Yeah, remember Moses, he told God, you know, show me thy glory. And God said, you know, you can't look upon me and live, but. He he hid in the cliff of the rock, and uh, he got to see, like the Bible says, the hinder parts of God as he passed by, and even that caused his face to glow. And so when he came down from the mountain, the children of Israel were a little bit afraid of Moses because his face was shining. So they put a veil on him, and um, and anyway, that's what Pam's saying. That now the Old Testament. Uh, uh, has been abolished. It, uh, the veil has been done away with in Christ. And, uh, t- turn over one page. Look at 2 Corinthians 4. And, uh, Emma, would you read 4 4? 
<laughs> in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine in the world. Now we'll we'll talk about that more next week. But who is the God of this world? Satan. 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 It's the devil. Yeah, Satan. Satan. And uh, he's. It says he's blinded the minds of them uh, which believe not. So unbelievers are blinded by the devil, lest the glorious gospel should shine into them, and they be converted. And, and that's kind of what it's saying with what Pam read. Look back over. 313 uh, 14 it says but their minds were blinded and and uh, who's he talking about who's there there who's their minds well it, it's Israel and yeah they in other words they 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 didn't receive Christ as the Messiah did they 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 rejected him and it's, so it's like there's a veil over their minds and you know that's true uh, I think it's in chapter 11 when we get there it says that uh, uh, well look over chapter 11 so I don't misquote it here 2 Corinthians 11 what verse you looking for 3 Teresa we're over to you 2 Corinthians 11 3 But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Yeah. And so, uh, the serpent, being the devil, it says he will use any means. So Paul is afraid that, you know, the devil's going to use any means to corrupt their minds. And so, uh, that's true of today, isn't it? That the devil wants, uh, the battle is for the mind, isn't it? And the subtlety part. I mean, that's, you know, he doesn't just like sometimes blatantly do it. It's more, you know, just... A very trickery and... He wants you to think it's a whole lot harder to be saved and stay saved. Yeah, there's simplicity and he complicates it and corrupts it. What were you saying, Mary? And, you know, what he's done is what they've done through society is over a long period of time, they've made things okay that really aren't okay. Yeah, it's been subtle. It's subtle about subtle. Oh, well, this is okay now, this is okay now. If you look back to the 1950s, none of that was okay. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. There's just uh, so very, very true, very true. Now, uh, I think that's all I was going to say. Uh, Belinda, you want to read 15 and 16? Are you uh, chapter three or? Uh, Carol, uh, chapter three, verse fifteen and sixteen. Yeah, but even unto this day, when Moses is read, read, so thou is upon the heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn unto the Lord, the bell shall be taken away. So, whenever, whenever Carol just read verse fifteen. 
I'm sorry, verse 16. Nevertheless, when it... What, what is the it? Yeah. Yeah, Angie's right. Uh, that's why I wanted you to see in verse... Verse 15, there's a veil on their heart, but uh, whenever it is turned, and we're going we're gonna to camp out here for just a second. <laughs> I got the hot dogs. Oh, man. I used the wrong word in this class. <laughs> So the word turn in verse 16, uh, and, and notice it says, uh, when, when, it shall, when it shall turn. In other words, Israel's heart is going to turn back to the Lord, but this, uh, this turn, I gave you two blanks there, it's also translated to be converted. Uh, it, it, it's connected with that, but uh, so six different times in our Bible, instead of using the word "turn," it says "be converted." So, at some point, Israel's heart is going to turn, and it says what Carol read: the veil shall be taken away. And uh, uh, let me see if I can pull this up. This this is kind of interesting. Uh, I wasn't sure if this TV would work today, so I I tried to print out most of the verses. Matthew 27. It's separated. Yeah. Now you guys might remember this. Whenever Jesus died, it says, when He had cried again with a loud voice... He yielded up the ghost. And look here. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after His resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. But I want you to see that uh, the veil... Uh, the veil, I, I, if I remember right, it's either four or eleven curtains kind of tied together. It's, I mean, you couldn't tear it, but and it, and it was really tall. So uh, notice it tore. You know, if 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 man would have done it, you know, we probably couldn't have reached that. So we would have had to tear from the bottom up. But it was torn from the top down. And what what did that? What was behind the veil? The Ark of the Covenant. And what's that room called? Yeah, the most holy place. We call it the Holy of Holies. So the front room was the holy place, and the back was the most holy or holy of holies. And so now it kind of represents you have access to God, right? And so there's kind of a, uh, I don't know if you call this a metaphor, but he's saying just like that veil, to them, their Messiah hadn't come. To them, there's still a boundary between them and God. But the Bible's saying that with us, that's why we have a better hope. That's why our faces should glow, because we, we could enter into the presence of God, right? Uh, 
And we can come before the throne boldly, it says in Hebrews. The hardness of our heart where the temple is now, the veil is rent. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, anyway, all this is... Uh, I wanted you to see this too. I'm going to pull up one more verse. Uh, this First Thessalonians one nine. It's on your handout. And I want you to see this from the, the Thessalonians... They uh, now, you know, Paul started this church in Thessalonica as well. But look at verse nine here. It says, "For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and look here, and how ye turned." to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So these Thessalonians, they, they were serving idolatry. They were pagan worshipers. And they turned, that's like repented. They were converted and now they're, they turn unto the living God and serve Him now. Repentance. And so that, that turning is really, yeah, it's repentance. That, that's, that's what it is. And so that's what conversion is. It's turning to God from, you know, whatever, uh, idols you or I may have. So we, uh, can even have that, uh, as Christians, there's a certain amount of, you know, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we, we do confess, we do uh, turn to Him. And then uh, verse 17, uh, Mary, will you do that one? Okay. And now the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Yeah, and uh, liberty, uh, what, what do you think I've put in that blank? Freedom. Freedom. Good job, Carol. And uh, hopefully you, we've all experienced that freedom. Uh, this, and it's, it's by the Spirit of the Lord. And now I gave you a couple verses at the bottom of your handout. This, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And if the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. So there is a, a certain liberty and freedom that we have as Christians, and the, the, the Holy Spirit has brought that about. Any thoughts or questions there? Uh, if not, uh, Jaime, do you want to do the 318, the last verse? But we all often face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Yeah, now this... Uh, <clears throat> I gave you a little bit of study on this word changed. If you want to look at the back side of your handout, the Greek word for changed in verse 18 is transliterated as metamorpho, where we get our word metamorphosis, meaning change of form or shape, transformation, particularly a change in the form of being as the metamorphosis of an insect from a arilla or chrysalis state into a winged animal. So what do we think of when we... a caterpillar. 
Yeah, that's pretty cool, isn't it? And uh, our King James Bible translates the same the same word as transfigure, like the Mount of Transfiguration. And I, I gave you another blank here. It's the word uh, transformed. And uh, I like that because, you know, most of you know our son Luke. Uh, you know, when he was little, that's when transformers were big. Yeah. And we used to have a few of those. They're still, they're still pretty popular. Uh, there's movies about them. But yeah, it's, so it's like a car that you can fold it apart and it becomes a robot, right? It, it, and a robot is not a car, but it, it's transformed. That, that's what we're saying. So we can take uh, Larry, this uh, old hillbilly guy, and make him into, you know, super Christian. He's going to... He's uh, sometimes quiet, but he's going to share his testimony at the bonfire. And you're probably not a preacher by nature, but you're going to share your your faith. You're going to share truth with whoever comes on Friday night. And so that's why we're talking about being transformed. God is molding us, and we're we're the we're the clay, and He's the potter, and He's having to apply pressure, and we, we need to be tender and moldable and. He's he's wanting to make ministers out of all of us, and that's what Paul is saying to his friends at Corinth: is you guys uh, are being changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And we said that the word Spirit was in this chapter seven times, and uh, it's it's kind of ironic. Uh, I finished lesson four. I was telling Carol. She finished lesson four with uh, her discipler Sherry Walker this week, mm-hmm. and uh, I finished lesson four with Matt Lewis this week, and uh, it's it's about the Holy Spirit. Lesson four is about the Holy Spirit and uh, how it's it's got power and it helps in our decision making and it functions to guide us into truth and it brings about that change that uh, the Bible's talking about, this metamorphosis. And I, I put a ministry principle on your handout that the Old could not, like the Old Testament could not change hard-heartedness. Under the New, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So uh, the Old Testament didn't necessarily uh, change uh, hearts. But uh, the new, we can be changed. And my teaching point here is that we can all be changed by the Spirit into the image of Christ. And I gave you a verse from Romans 8.29. Uh, from whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed into the image of His Son, that He might be the, the He might be the firstborn among many brethren. So uh, that's where this word image. I, I like that. That think about that. You, you, me. We are being conformed into the image of Christ. I just think that's pretty wonderful, don't you? We we're trying to be more like Christ. We want to be more like Christ. We wish we were more like Christ, and we don't have to. We, we even hope because hope is sure. We are going to be. Uh, we're predestinated to be that. 
So it's really cool. And uh, so this last little section here I gave you was uh, some statements about and reasons for the law. And let's just read down through here. And I've got another little handout. Uh, Larry, since you're always so helpful, will you uh, pass out this other handout for me? Uh, I think that the exact, uh, when they're thinking of the metamorphosis, uh, think that they're thinking of the scarlet worm. I've heard of that. So the scarlet worm represents uh, what Jesus did because they go up on a tree and then they do the chrysalis state and all of their blood uh-huh. goes into the tree and they turn white. I did not know that. It's only in Israel too. Oh, really? Wow. Huh. So the worm attaches itself to a tree and puts like its own redness into the tree? Yeah, it's, it's red at first, but then when it goes to its chrysalis state, uh, all the red goes into the tree and it turns white. What's it called? Screw? Scarlet worm. Scarlet worm. Or another name. Um, crimson worm. Ah. I, I know the... Alright, let me... Uh, let me read down through these things about the law, and I know I know I got a couple more uh, blanks for you. So statements about and reasons for the law. The law gives knowledge of sin. The law worketh wrath. I think about. Uh, I'll tell you something about my childhood. You'll think this is funny. So. Uh, when I was young, my mom was a teacher. She she taught in a public school for 18 years. And uh, so my dad was out farming. My mom was... So when we got off the bus, we had to have a babysitter. So uh, my, my uh, babysitter was named Mrs. Burns. I, I can barely remember. But anyway, I thought I was running away from Mrs. Burns. Uh, thank you, Larry. No, I, I got one. All right. Thank you, brother. Did you give yourself one? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so the way I ran away from Mrs. Burns is I just went out and climbed on the fence. And uh, it was a wooden fence. And so I bet I had 20 or 30 splinters in my hands. And so Mrs. Burns is trying to pull me off the fence. And I'm just, I'm just, you know, I don't want to be with Mrs. Burns. And so anyway, it was kind of like, you know, wait till your dad gets home, you know, that type of thing. So when I, when I just read that, you know, I thought of that story that the law worketh wrath. You know, uh, there was, a, and I'm sure I did get punished. And Mrs. Burns was a sweet old lady and she met, met well. And, so I, I probably I probably got a whooping, but the worst part was getting the splinters out of my hands. I do remember that. Consequences of your actions. Yeah. Yep. What are you thinking, Larry? Hey, Steve. You think that's bad? Try going down the yard. Oh. 
and sitting in a cactus patch. Oh, you can't get those out of yourself, probably. No. Oh man. It took at least four hours. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my God. You didn't do it again, though, did you? <laughs> 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 All right. Letter C here. Love is the fulfilling of the law. Uh, Letter D, the law was given because of transgression until Christ came. And letter E says the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. So that was a lot of the purpose. The law was not made for a righteous man. Letter G, the law is light. H, the law is perfect and converts the soul. I, Christ, changed the priesthood and the law. And letter G is transgressing one law makes me guilty of all the law. So, I put the word guilty. And uh, think, think about that for a minute. If, if I had a... Let's just say I had a plastic chain up here and this chain was made of like ten links, like like uh, the Ten Commandments, you know, I might not uh, steal or kill, but gosh, uh, thou shalt not uh, bear false witness. What, what if I've lied? Well, if I've lied, then the chain's broken, right? I mean, if you're hanging on to this chain in any one of these links, so we've all broken the law, and that that's what it says. If if we've transgressed the law, so we're guilty, and we we deserve some level of punishment. And so my teaching point there is uh, one day Christ will one day make a new covenant with Israel. Uh, so just the word covenant. And. Uh, and then I, I just said we would read this devotion I wrote about the law. So l- let's look at the handout that Larry gave you. If, uh, if uh, Sylvester Stallone wants to narrate that, he goes, I am the law. <laughs> that's, uh, that's from uh, Judge Dredd. Judge Dredd. I, I do remember that. I like that one. I like the one where he, where he drove that... Uh, Oh, the bear. Uh, all right. On your handout, the law. Uh, we can stop and talk about some of this. We got about ten or fifteen minutes, so let's let's start at the top here. This is from Romans three for for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemn sin in the flesh. In the Bible, the law is usually synonymous with the law of Moses. In other words, the law that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai to give to His people. Historically, the law spanned from about 18, I'm sorry, 1489 B.C., Moses on Mount Sinai, to about 30 A.D., Jesus on the cross at Mount Calvary, or about 1,529 years. The original one was like 600 things, wasn't it? Well, listen, that's in here. Well, they were the same ten. Okay. Um, 
So, uh, the law not only occupies a large portion of history, which is his story, its writings occupy about 75% of the whole Bible. So as you can see from the verse above, the law was weak and that it could never make the comers thereunto perfect. That's in Hebrews 10.1. Therefore God sent Christ in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin and condemned sin in the flesh in order to fulfill the law. And so I used to tell people in jail that just that, you know, Christ was the only one good enough to go to heaven. He really fulfilled. He, he, uh, met all the requirements of the law. You know, I, I look at even, like, you remember whenever they were walking through the cornfield on the Sabbath day, it said his disciples ate the corn, which, but it doesn't say that Christ ate the corn, but he didn't condemn his disciples for eating the corn. They were hungry, and so they, they kind of violated the Sabbath. They were doing some work. They were, and so, uh, anyway, if you notice going through the, through uh, the Gospels, Christ kept the law. And uh, th- this is one thing, uh, the man that led me to Christ, he made this statement and it helped me. When I read the Gospels, you know, we know and we believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. The Bible says that. But my my father and lord royal he says christ really didn't use his god's powers he says christ just always walked in the spirit he was all you know you and i have times where we walk in the spirit and god uses us supernaturally well think about jesus was always walking in the spirit and uh, i i like to read the gospels thinking about that and uh, now, now look at this. Uh, I've got this underlined here. This Matthew five seventeen and eighteen. He's, Christ says, "Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled." And uh, the the word jot, uh, a short, short sentence. Uh, that that was the smallest Hebrew letter. And uh, the the way we the way we actually say this, I jot something down. I iota. We say the word iota, don't we? Yep. Not one, not one iota. Okay, you might not say it. I'm going to jot something down there real quick. Yeah, that's a short. That probably comes from that. So the word uh, and the word tittle was like the smallest punctuation. So the smallest letter. Christ is saying the smallest letter or the smallest punctuation is not going to pass from the law till it all be fulfilled. And uh, then, Kevin, what you were thinking, uh, the law actually contains 613 commandments, all thought to have been given to Moses on Mount Sinai, not just the Ten Commandments. Of these 613 laws, uh, 248 are mandatory laws like thou shalt, you know, thou shalt do this. 
and 365 are pro- prohibition laws, prohibition laws, like thou shalt not do this. And then it says uh, these 613 laws can be divided into three general categories. The ceremonial law, like rites and sacrifices and ceremonies of worship, Christ fulfilled the essence of these what these laws pictured and have now been done away with. Uh, for example, the Passover lamb, because Christ fulfilled that. He was the Passover lamb. So we don't have to kill sheep anymore. The Jews? Uh, no, but they, they, will, they will under... Uh, that's what they're trying to do on the Temple Mount. Yeah. The, yeah. They're going to try to burn the red heifers out to make the ashes for the anointing of the priests. But number two, there that the judicial or civil law. These were laws which governed Israel's society, and then the moral law, uh, human conduct laws, perpetually binding to all men in every dispensation. So, you know, people. People even uh, who you know may not live in a, a civilized society know you shouldn't kill somebody, you shouldn't lie, you shouldn't steal. So these are kind of moral laws. And so although a theocratic government is not God's plan for this age, the goal of having God on the throne of our hearts and governing our lives should be a very real desire for every believer. Since sin is the transgression of the law, 1 John 3, 4, and by the law is the knowledge of sin, Romans 3, 20, we still need the law to serve as a mirror to reflect what is wrong in our lives. But just as we would not use an actual mirror itself to remove dirt from our face, we cannot use the law to remove sin from our life. Only Christ can do that. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, Galatians 3.24, and by belief in Him, we uh, we established the law, Romans 3.21. And our love is the fulfilling of the law, Romans 13.10. So Christ is the end or the object of the law to everyone who believes. That's what Romans 10.4 says. For Christ is the end or the object of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So although the law is light and the law is holy and we need it, yet is no man justified by the law. Galatians 5.4 says that if we try to do something to be justified by the law, we fall from grace. And Romans 6.14 makes it clear that we are not under the law but under grace. And we said this last week, legalism is a too strict adherence to the law. People who are legalistic focus on the letter of the law and miss the intent or spirit of the law. And then I quote from our chapter today, For the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. James 2.10 We've all offended the law in at least one point, but Jesus wants to blot out those ordinances that are against us and nail them to His cross, Colossians 2.14, to redeem us from the curse of the law 
And then I put, friend, the law cannot make you perfect, but it is perfect and can convert your soul, uh, make you be wise and believe on Jesus, the lawgiver himself right now. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So uh, anyway, that is a uh, devotion I wrote. I thought it fit our class pretty good today. I actually... uh, I wrote, I think I'll probably try to give it next week. Remember I told you I wrote all the, uh, the Old Testament, uh, cross references from 2 Corinthians. And I'll try to give that to you next week. But any, any thoughts or comments as we read that? Uh, you were saying iota. Um, I just looked it up. It's the ninth letter of the Greek alphabet. Yeah, in fact, uh, look, we got just a minute. Look, look at Psalm 119. Look at Psalm 119. And uh, this is where it's found. You can actually see this in the Old Testament. Yeah. Yeah. Funny that you should mention that because that's where me and Brady was at on our discipleship lesson. Oh, really? In Psalm one nineteen. Lesson five. That's one of the. That's one of the Bible. That's one of the Bible verses that I've got. Which, which which verse? Uh, nine. Oh, okay. One nineteen nine. Okay. Uh, so look at verse seventy three. That's a job, J-O-D. Yeah. Which is the small. And so uh, you can actually see if you have a. A Bible that has it, it's got a right, in my Bible, right to the left of the word jawed is a little, it's a little, it's actually the letter, the Hebrew letter. Does everybody see that? Do you see it in your Bible? Jaime in Psalm 119? Yeah. Yeah, it's in, uh, let me see if I might be able to pull it up on this thing. Let's see. If, you want me to read it? Uh, no, because uh, it doesn't. The verse doesn't say. Yeah. This is what this is what we were looking for. This jod, and uh, let, let me do this. Uh, if I turn uh, if I turn on my Strong's letters, do you see that little word uh, jod? It's uh, Psalm one nineteen seventy three before. Yeah. Mine has it above it, above that passage. Yep. Yeah, I see it. There. It's saying that. But I, I don't know if that whole thing is the Hebrew letter. Anyway, that's what Christ is talking about in the New Testament. Yeah, you've got the little thing right there, and mine does too. Mine has got it. Cool. Pat says it's above verse 73. Pat's on there? Man, we're honored, brother. We miss you. We, uh, I think I erased your name, but we prayed for you and your mama earlier. So, thank you for joining us, brother. We'll uh, hopefully see you at the bonfire if you can make it. All right. Well, let's uh, pray. We are out of time now. 
And uh, Jaime, you want to close us today in prayer? Uh, Jaime, brother, you want to pray for us today as we close? Yeah, thank you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom. Thank you, Jesus, for having this morning here. And let us be uh, for everything you give us today, your reward. Let us have an open heart for everything and for this. Uh, we're going to the center right now and let us keep safe and drive back home to everybody and mm-hmm. thank you for having us here today and worship your words and good prayers and everything. Thank you God for everything you give us every day. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. That's a good prayer. We're going to sign out. Thank you guys. Oh, I was reading on that red heifer thing. The three red heifers came